John, it was about a year ago, all the NFL TV free agency madness started erupting. And it ended on Sunday with Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson on the call. We're going to talk about what transpired and what to look ahead for. Can essentially run it down to the field goal try. McKinnon, see what he decides to do here. Yeah, he's got to get down. He's got to get down. And he does. And we're back. The Marshan and Oran Sports Media Podcast. I'm Andrew Marshan, sports media columnist for the New York Post. He's John Oran, the media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. And John, great week out in Arizona. We had Fox Sports' CEO, Eric Shanks, on. We had Brian Rolop, the number two business officer at the NFL. Both were tremendous interviews. If you haven't listened to them and you're into the business, go back and listen to those. It was great. It was great to see you, too. Yeah, that was fun. You hobnobbing all over the place. <laughs> exactly. From parties to Radio Row, actually hosting a podcast on Radio Row. That, 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 was, that was pretty unique. Yeah, that was cool. It was a lot of fun. One thing that struck me, though, Andrew, face to face, we got more complaints from people about uh, about stuff that we've said. What's going on with that? I don't. Maybe that was you. I didn't get any complaints. Uh, Everyone told me I was down? right on. <laughs> that was all. That all happened at the volume party, which uh, I, I feel I feel indebted to a uh, to, to, to plug there. Yeah, you've been plugging that party. They, the volume's like a page six of uh, sports media parties. <laughs> Wednesday night, I I, I noticed uh, Barrett Sports Media gave you the name check in, on that it one. Covers bad job by Barrett Sports Media though. They left out Ryan Glass Spiegel of the New York Post. They should have been first. On that yeah, list, come on, media people who are there. Anyways, I, a lot of fun out there. A lot of hard work. I just slept for about two days when I got back after the Super Bowl, because uh, you go from meeting to meeting to doing stories, and uh, a lot of fun though. And hopefully, liked all the content. So let's get back. Let's get into it right now. Who's up? Who's down? Who's up? Who's down? All right, Andrew. Why don't you start us off? All right, I'm gonna go to the Super Bowl. My who's up? Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson. Now, when Joe Buck and Troy Aikman left, I pointed to February 12th, 2023. That's the date that the decision by Fox to allow, you know, especially Buck to leave because he had a year left on his contract. And then Aikman had the right contractually to leave for ESPN and the riches there. Uh, and it was going to come down to you know, how do you do on the Super Bowl? And Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson did really well. They, they had a very strong broadcast and the thing that really sticks out we've talked about this a number of times is the cohesion of the two of them burkhart is an unselfish play-by-player he gives olsen a lot of room so the criticism on olsen sometimes is he talks too much but i think that's partly because he is a talker i mean greg olsen anybody who knows him well knows he's a talker but it's also because Burkhart gives them a lot of room to work, uh, which is good. And I thought they had a really strong performance. Um, and here's the thing about it. They were more than just not the story. I mean, that's the goal is just not to be the story. That was the problem for years with Monday Night Football. They really were additive. And so that's a real positive for Fox and Burkhart and Olsen. All right. So give them a grade. A, B, C, D, F. Well, Sounds like an A. Clickers. I'm going to do clickers, okay? I'm going right. to stick to my brand. Uh, one out of five. I'll give them 4.49 out of five clickers. 4.49. I'd expect it higher from you. I'm, I'm right around there with you. I gave them 4.2 because they stayed out of the way. They're not, they weren't the story out of, uh, of the Super Bowl. I thought that was a perfect way to do it. But instead of me doing my who's up, why don't you stick with the Super Bowl? Who's down, Andrew? All right, first off, 
I just got to tell you, 4.49 is basically a 90s. That's like an A minus. That's a very strong grade. We're tough graders here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> My who's down, Tom Brady. Now, how can Tom Brady be who's down? Greatest of all time, considered by most, definitely the most accomplished uh, player in NFL history. I just think that what Greg Olson has done now is put the pressure on Tom Brady. Now, I, look, there are people who don't think he's ever going to do it. There are people who's not, who think he will do it. Uh, we'll have to see where that goes. It's so much money, you know, $37.5 million, even for Tom Brady to work five and a half months of the year. Uh, it's a lot. Uh, so for him to say no to that would be something. But I do think it's kind of the specters kind of changed. There's been a shadow over uh, Olsen's head. He's had to answer questions all year. And even Brady's retirement right before uh, the Super Bowl week, uh, that made it kind of difficult on Olsen. And then uh, even being around, you know, at the Fox Media Day, it's kind of like they didn't really want to talk about Tom Brady. And and they, I think they should want to talk about Tom Brady. He is Tom Brady. And I think actually Tom Brady might be pretty good in the booth, quite honestly. That's my, my opinion. So I just think that there's a little bit more pressure on Tom Brady if he does come out that, you know, people compare him to Olsen, who now is sort of the people's champ. Uh, and so I think that's interesting. One other little interesting note that I reported on is that uh, the way that Olsen's contract works, he makes $10 million as the number one. Brady comes in, he slides to number two. He makes $3 million livable, but a lot less than uh, $10 million, uh, you know, seven million. So a lot of money involved in this uh, for the Brady decision for 2024. Brady says he's going to be there. Uh, and it is a lot of money, but I do think that Olsen now has uh, racketed up the pressure a little bit. And also the other last thing is the Fox people just love Greg Olsen. Now Brady's known as a great teammate, but Fox from Burkhart on down, they all love uh, Greg Olsen. So that it's a very interesting scenario. I'm glad, I'm glad you qualified that three, $3 million as livable. That, that, that's good. But there was another aspect of his contract uh, that you've reported on that he has an out. If he, if, the, if he can go to another number one job. Yep, he does. And, you know, but the one thing for him, that's a kind of an issue at the moment is that there's no number one jobs available. Um, I do think though, and I've said this for a long time now, I thought the Tom Brady signing was a good thing for Greg Olson because I think he's been able to be kind of the underdog and he's only 37. These jobs, he could have a long, long career. We see Al Michaels going until he's nearly 80 uh, at the moment. Greg Olson can have uh, a long career. There'll be jobs that will open. He might have to have some patience or it might just work out of Fox. But uh, I think he set himself up where he's in the conversation with Tom Brady, Tony Romo, Peyton Manning. Uh, that's a pretty good group to be uh, considered with Sean McVay when he leaves coaching. So all those names are in there. Uh, and Greg Olson's one of them. Had an outstanding NFL career, but again, as we've talked about a number of times, not a quarterback, not a former Cowboy, didn't play in New York. Uh, and so to in his second year as a broadcaster do the Super Bowl, that's pretty good. So pressure on Tom Brady. All right, who do you, who do you got? Who's, the, who's right. up? So my who's up, I spent all week in Phoenix at the Super Bowl talking with media executives and, and uh, NFL executives. Of course, my who's up has nothing to do with football, uh, professional football or uh or, or media, it's Brett Yormark of the Big 12. And it's Brett Yormark for a couple of reasons. One, you talk to media executives, they're blown away by Yormark and the job that Yormark has done. When he came, the uh, Big 12 was in disarray and he was able to uh, work out a media deal. He was able to, to uh, work out uh, a, a deal to have Texas and Oklahoma leave early and, and make it actually work for the conference. 
And uh, the media executives I, I talked to, all of them mentioned Brett Yormark as, as uh, somebody who's doing a, a just a, a really credible job. So I, I want to make him who's up. I'm picking him this week because he engineered that deal to get Oklahoma and Texas uh, to leave a year early. Uh, it's a, an exit fee of around $100 million oh. that they're going to reallocate to all the, the Big 12 schools. So it's making the Big 12 uh, you know, more financially sound. And really, Andrew, we talk about this all the time, and they're not going to like this in Pac-12 offices. But it's clear now that he totally outmaneuvered the Pac-12 in getting his media deal finished early. And it might seem like a pretty obvious choice to make. It was not unanimous at the time. There were several people in the Big 12 that were saying, let's just hold out. The rights are only going to go up. Let's hold out. He decided, let's get certainty. Let's beat the Pac-12 to the punch. And uh, and let's get the deal done. He has the deals done with uh, Fox and with ESPN. And uh, and the Big 12 is sitting very, very pretty right now. So Brett Yormark is my my who's up. All right. Who do you got? Who's down? Uh, again, I'm staying away from the NFL. Do, do you know what's launching uh, uh, next week? Well, I do because I pay attention. And also <laughs> of course you do. ESPN PR sent me a nice box of chocolates for Valentine's Day about the XFL. Do you want a chocolate? Wait, are you kidding me? I didn't get that box. You don't of get chocolates either? No, I didn't First get the blanket. blankets now. No I, don't chocolates? Have, I don't have the chocolates. What's all this? chocolate on your face this is why they're who's down my who's down is the rock Be, uh for this reason there the the amount of marketing that's been behind the xfl has for me been almost non-existent i compare that with the amount of marketing that i've seen for the usfl i think the usfl actually has had a really cool marketing campaign where they're just showing highlights from last uh, from last season's uh usfl season and um, and so I know that the USFL is going to start. I know when the US, uh, USFL is going to start. Uh, it's different for the XFL. Part of the problem is that uh, when was wild card game? That was like a month ago. Uh, ESPN hasn't had the, uh, the N NFC playoffs like Fox has had. So they haven't been able to bring in really mass audiences to uh, promote the XFL. They've been trying to get it out there. But this is one of the advantages of having the NFL playoffs deep through the championship game. You know, two divisional playoffs, a, a championship game, now the Super Bowl. It's, it was almost impossible not to see the USFL. I still, I haven't seen one uh, XFL commercial. I think uh, I just found that to be unique. They also sent a handwritten note from Monique Falset uh, and Michael Skarka uh, with the chocolates. So no, I'll probably never write about it, but that was sent, little handwritten note and some chocolates. Wait, did you get did you get that today? Did you get that yesterday? I did. I, we, came, nah, I came yesterday. The day we have the Valentine. DC Defenders in town, for goodness sakes. John, no blankets, no uh, <laughs> no chocolates. You mentioned the volume. You mentioned uh, uh, Omaha Productions. You want those blankets and chocolate? I don't care about the blankets. And Nobody sent me. It's not going to affect my coverage, but it's very nice when people send it. <laughs> yeah. Have you already given away the blanket? The blanket mm -hmm. I kept. No, nah, okay. we like blankets. Oh, all right, also. there, there you have it. I mean, I'm not, if you, what am I supposed to do? I mean, if you send it, I'm not going to, you could say, I guess, no gifts, but you're allowed to take some stuff. We have rules. Um, All right. Well, we are a uh, sports media podcast. Uh, what more are we going to talk about uh, coming out of the Super Bowl then? Here we go. Hurts. 
as all day. Now some rushers come. Going to throw it as far as his arm can take it, which is well short. And the Kansas City Chiefs have won Super Bowl 57. So, you know, you you had uh, as who's up uh, Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson. Uh, I, I I agree with that. I, I didn't think their call was spectacular, but I thought it was strong. I, 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 I And I think that they stayed out of the headlines, which is, I think, part of uh, what, what they were trying to do there. There, there are a couple of things that I did want to highlight. For me, the strongest part of the telecast came in the fourth quarter with the play of the game, really, where there was a holding call against James Bradbury. Let's listen to the clip. That's worst case scenario. You'll see James Bradbury. They're going to say he grabs him. He's got his left hand on his back. I don't know. Mike, listen, I think on this stage, I, I think you let him play. Obviously, Mahomes thought he saw it. I think... I don't know. I think you let him play, finish this thing out. I don't love that call, Mike. I mean, I think you got to see the whole thing. It seemed to me at the initial break, he grabbed the back of the jersey and pulled it. If we see that, I think that is all. Now, here's what I like about, uh, about that call, is that uh, Greg Olson, uh, as most ex-athletes do, he he wanted the players to decide the game, and 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 I think a lot of fans want that as well. And and he he I thought was pretty effective in talking about like you don't make that call in the fourth quarter, and then you have Mike Pereira, uh, the rules analyst, coming in and and making it clear that there was holding on the play. It was it was something that he would have called uh, as a referee, and if you call it in the first quarter, you got to call it in the fourth quarter. And that tension between you know fans and players. And the referees trying to call the game. I think you could see that right in the booth. And it wasn't tension where they were disagreeing. Well, they were disagreeing with each other, but uh, it, it was pretty natural tension that I thought really illustrated what was going on with that call. Yeah, I'd say the big thing there is uh, the use of officials in the booth, I think, work. Uh, I, I'm on that side of it. I mean, you don't want to overuse them, uh, but in that scenario, you know, Greg Olson is really setting the stage of what people are talking about. That's why these jobs are important because you have to know what you're looking at. I thought what Olson said was fine. You know, later, of course, it took, you know, it became a little bit less because Bradbury said it was holding, uh, which kind of uh, ruined the debate shows during the week uh, because Bradbury <laughs> admitted to the penalty. But so I thought the balance was good because you have Pereira saying, no, that is holding uh, and you and you had Olsen reacting. And the job, you see, like I think people get confused about this. The job's not to get everything right. It's like that's not what like, you know, people always make a big deal about people getting predictions. Right. Like Nate Burleson, who I think is, you know, superstar. But, you know, he got the prediction, the exact score. Right. Which is great. You know, and that's fun. But like, OK, it was lucky. I mean, it's not like there's some like skill there that's like, oh, my God, he knew the score. You know, it was, it was luck. Um, So so I thought th they did a good job. And I think the thing that to me is impressive for Olsen is that he's only in his second year. He is doing the Super Bowl. That's where you could have had a Drew Brees moment where you froze like Brees froze last year during the playoffs, you know, late in that uh, game that uh, between the uh, Raiders and Bengals and. He didn't. He was confident to say that. And there's 113 million people watching. So there's a lot of pressure there. And uh, I, I thought when you listen to, to that call and, and what they did, how they broke it down, I think it helps to have very experienced production people. Uh, and Rich Russo is the director. Richie Zients is the producer. And, you know, that that guides you. So you know where to go. Those guys have done a million games. And I think there are many instances during the game once in the first quarter that I point out in my column the day after is that uh, on the touchdown, you know, they show Kelsey with a little bit, he went in motion a little bit 
Uh, Olsen noted that. Then Burkhart made the call, building off of that. Then they went to break after the touchdown, came back, kickoff. They go back to the replay. They did. They they went even deeper into that play, and that's perfect TV. That's what you're looking for. Understandable uh, and correct and nuanced um, and simple. All those things, and those are a lot of different words that mean different things and put them all together. I thought that was good. Getting back to the play you're pointing out, I, I thought that was good TV, and I thought they were on top of it. And that's the part where you can really become the story in a bad way when there's controversial plays like that. If you mess it up and you got to be confident in your booth and Fox was to their credit, when we talked about when they let Buck and Aikman go, yes, they signed Tom Brady, which makes it very complicated now looking forward, but they were confident in Burkhart and Olsen with a Super Bowl year. So they were prepared to have uh, those two guys. Uh, so you have to give them credit from Shanks to Zager and company in terms of having those guys um, ready to go and being able to do the game. Yeah, and you mentioned this in in your who's up. Uh, uh, Kevin Burkhart was secure enough to stay out of it. You know that that was that was a discussion between Pereira and Olson. And then you you had in the truck you had every conceivable angle. So so Mike Pereira prepared us for what we were going to see. There was a, a hold right at the beginning. You know, and and then uh, there is a question. You know, I think even if the player admitted it, there was a question. Uh, of whether or not you throw that flag on a third and seven when the ball goes out of bounds. I thought it was a bad call, but, you know. Also, uh, it was disappointing. Like, I think that was what Olsen's t- getting at. You know, we all were loving this ending. Now there's the penalty. Casey can just run down the clock. Jalen Hurts doesn't really get a shot to come back. And so that's what sort of as a fan and a former player, Olsen, I think the emotion of like, oh, what a letdown. And then Burkhart. Uh, said something after too. It's not kind of something to the effect of like, you don't really want to see the game end this way. Um, and I thought that was correct because it was a classic and we didn't really get a, we got an okay ending, but not a, we could have had a dream ending. We might've had uh, overtime. Uh, so, uh, so I thought they really got the emotion of that. All right, let's move off of Burkhart and Olsen. Uh, let's go to some stuff from the pregame halftime. Uh, John, uh, what did you see? What did you like? What didn't you like? What, 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 what caught your eye in terms of, uh, the pregame show and then the halftime show? Okay. I'm just, I'm just going to focus my gold star on one person who, uh, has been around for a while, but I, I thought really showed, um, his chops on, on Sunday. And that's Michael Strahan, who of course is a co-host at Good Morning America. He's been on, uh, uh, uh the Fox pregame show for decades He's showing now his versatility. Here he is interviewing Rihanna. It's over 100 million people are watching your perform. Thanks for reminding me about that. No, but I'm saying, do you ever think about how many people are watching you? Yes. Strahan goes from an interview where he clearly know they clearly know each other, and uh, she's very comfortable with him, to go, and here he is interviewing Damar Hamlin. You were in ICU. You were on a ventilator. You were sedated for several days. What is the first thing you remember when you started to wake up? Uh, just hearing family members, uh, my mom, my dad, friends that were there. Um, and the first thing I said when I woke up was, did we win? You know, I was yeah, dude. thinking about the Do you realize, <laughs> when I saw that, I said, okay, he's an athlete, he's committed. I'm competitive. That competitive nature in me was just still, just thinking about the game. And I just wanted to know, like, did we win? Like and I said, what did they tell you? Yes, I won. I won the game of life. We ask questions all the time. We do interviews all the time. It's not that easy to sort of go and talk to a pop star and then talk to an athlete and and make it all sound natural. Michael Strahan has the ability 
to do that. And he, I, I just thought that that was a perfect vehicle for him to, to show his versatility. All right. Let's look at some other things. I, I agree. I thought Strahan had a very good uh, Super Bowl. Um, the pregame show was fine. You know, it's long. You know, I, you know, me, I'm, I'm like the only one who watches the whole thing. Me and two other people, <laughs> I mean, Brad Zager watched the whole thing. He might not even have. Um, but uh, they had one good thing on this. Usually it's not good when they do these 72 Dolphins thing and they use actors. That could have been a disaster, but it actually was really good. That one like surprised me when I saw this. I'm like, wow, this might be really bad, but it was actually really good. Um, You know, and I would have bet uh, a lot know, of moved. money. That was going to be awful, Andrew. I, I saw that on the rundown. I was yeah, like, oh. it actually was good, though. They had good, good actors and the, the way they used Zonka, I actually liked it. And it was it wasn't too long. Um, so I thought that was pretty good. Let's look at the rating. Um, we don't have the full rating as we're doing this, but the fast rating had it at 113 million viewers. Uh, we, you know, sort of starting with you, uh, made some news last week with Michael Mulvihill, uh, the Fox EVP, who said that they could maybe eclipse 115 million. Uh, and then we had Shanks on, we asked him about it, and they had to get everything right. Um, they did have the tight game. Uh, 113 million is what the best in six years and the third best ever, I believe. And so uh, what do you think of the number? Uh, two, uh, two things. One is I almost made Mulvihill my, my who's up because uh, he missed on the prediction. He thought it was going to be a, a record setter, but uh, executives don't necessarily do that. And, and they're so scared to do that. And what's the problem with doing it? So you didn't get 115 million, got 113 million. I mean, that's a, that, that, that was, that's still a really good number. And I go back, I, I I really believe what Shanks told us on the pod last week. Like the 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 number for the Super Bowl viewership really doesn't matter. I think it matters if it drops down into the 80 million range, but even if it drops under a hundred million, it still is a number that is the most watched thing on television. It is a mass audience. And if you get anywhere between 90 and 120, it's, you know, even though that's 30 million uh, new, new, new sets of eyeballs, it doesn't matter that much. So 113 million, hey, that's great. Uh, if it had been 101 million, would have been a little disappointing maybe, but it, it still wouldn't have changed the ad rates or the, or the sellout factor one iota per shanks on, on the pod last week. Yeah, and we don't guess sources, so I'm not going to guess your source on your original, you know, how you got the memo, but let's just, you know, so I'm not like, so that was a good job by you, number one, but number two for Fox, I always think like, I think something people don't understand, like the power of setting the narrative, right? So how was that? I thought that was really good for Fox. I was thinking about it when we were talking about it last week, is that the narrative was this might be the highest rated Super Bowl ever. Now, again, most people, the average person probably maybe didn't hear about that, right? But you kind of want that seeping into the, um, and it has to be true. You can't just like make it up if it's, you know, really doesn't have the elements. And obviously Mulva Hill and company thought it had the elements to be the most um, watched. But like, to me, that's a good thing because people want to be involved in the, wow, this is the most watched. And I, I might need to check this out if they were kind of on the fence. And obviously there's not that many people who are on the fence about the Super Bowl, but um, I, I thought that was good for Fox to have that out there. And it wasn't the worst thing for them. I will say the other side of the coin, I heard from uh, rival network executives who said, you don't want to put it out there because all of a sudden 113 million means that it didn't make expectations. And I don't think it means that. I think there are certain 
site maybe that will write that story up, but that doesn't make it true. I, I, I just think it was like, hey, let's get out there. Let's give a number. We think it's going to be this. And I, I you know, good, good for Mulvihill for, uh, for, for putting his neck out on the line for that. And I, since he put his neck out, I'm not going to be the one to chop it off. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, let's just do a little NFL season review. Um, just in general, NFL season, what's your biggest takeaway? We go into next year where we have um, the new deals beginning in full. And Amazon joined this year. I mean, that's probably the biggest story, I would say, uh, out of this season. Next year, it's the new contracts. Um, CBS has the Super Bowl. Jim Nance and Tony Romo will be on that call. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, and then... Uh, but let's just look back for a second. What's your biggest takeaway? My biggest takeaway has to do with Amazon. And if you listen to uh, Roger Goodell's press conference, he did the annual press conference on, on Wednesday before the Super Bowl, he referenced Amazon probably three or four times uh, during that preference. Kaylee, Kaylee Hartung was, of course, interviewing him at, at one point. So that might have been one of the reasons. But the NFL clearly likes the idea that Amazon is helping them get younger they clearly like the idea that Amazon, even though the ratings, uh, the the viewership for the Amazon games dropped through the season, they like the idea that a big game can still be handled pretty well by Amazon. I mean, the, the you know the the first couple of games eclipsed you know even even the most optimistic projections over there. The I think for the NFL, especially go, going next year when they're uh, uh, sending their Sunday ticket to to YouTube. Uh, they're with Amazon. Uh, they have some exclusive games. Well, one exclusive game on Peacock, one on ESPN+. Plus. It's clear that they're doing a little bit more than just dabbling in, in streaming. You know, they're, they're trying to figure out, like, you know, what works there. And the most powerful programming, I mean, 113 million viewers can't be wrong. You know, they're, they're the league to re really kind of push that envelope. Yeah, we had Rollab on last week. Excellent interview if you want to go back and, and listen to him. One thing he mentioned about YouTube is maybe more interactive stuff. Now, we didn't fully follow up with him on that. Uh, but when I thought about after this speculation, could that potentially mean something in the gambling space at some point? Could it mean something in the fantasy sports space at some point? You know, could you be able to, you know, put your YouTube TV so it has all your players and your opponents' players in fantasy, so you watch every highlight they have, so you kind of take that fantasy to another level in terms of how you watch it. Um, I don't know. It seems seems very possible uh, to do, and and so that's something I think was very interesting out of the roll up interview. Yeah, one thing that roll up said that that I wish I had uh, pushed back on a little bit at the time, Andrew was. You know, he, he talked about DirecTV and he was like, and he said, you know, basically DirecTV has been doing Sunday ticket pretty much the same way for, for 30 years. I will say DirecTV and the innovation around Sunday ticket and, and the things that have come from Sunday ticket are, uh, you know, I should write, there, there should be stories on it. Uh, Red Zone was originally created by, by DirecTV. Uh, um, the uh, idea of uh, interactivity the idea of quad boxes, uh, all of that has been done by by DirecTV. So the idea that DirecTV just took a broadcast and and retransmitted it, they, they did a lot more than that. And I wish I, I had made that point during that interview. All right, let's do the final NFL topic on our rundown, Andrew, uh, having to do with Tony Romo 
and Sean McManus, you have written about uh, uh, Sean McManus meeting with Tony Romo and uh, and and, and uh, just having meetings. Don't be scared to say the word intervention. I'm not going to say that word. <laughs> That's a loaded word. I'm staying away from the word. <laughs> All right, listen, Sean McManus was on with Chris Russo uh, and Chris uh, asked him about uh, the intervention. A lot of people have written about this Tony Romo thing with this intervention. You want to comment on that? I know it's a tricky one, but I did yeah. that you were a little worried about his preparation. What can you tell no, me about I'm that? No, I'm not going to get into it except to say that um, an enormous amount of people have come up to me since I've here. And it's not just because of who I am, who have said to me, we really like Tony Romo. He's different. He's not your typical analyst. Um, he is enthusiastic. He sometimes speaks more as a fan than even an analyst which I think people like. So I think it's this is being overplayed. Um, you know, social media, as you know, uh, tends to be very vitriolic and unkind, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then when the mainstream media w watches social media, they, they kind of start, yeah, they start gang. So I think it's, um, can he get better? We can all get better. Uh, Jim Nance will tell you, if, if you have him on your show, and he's a fan of yours, obviously, that he can get better as a play-by-play -play guy. So do I sit down with Tony uh, periodically uh, and talk about that? Of course. But I do that with... Uh, Trevor Immelman, I do that with um, all the all the talent. I do it with Bill Raftery. I sit down and I say, Bill, in the uh, in the Villanova game, you know, um, the the, the storyline in the last 15 seconds was they had a foul to give, and you didn't mention they had a foul to so give. So you will say yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, and but but so I do it with Tony. I do it with Bill Raftery. Um, I I did it with Trevor Immelman for an entire round of golf, our new uh, 18th hole analyst. So the, the thought that there's some kind of story behind the fact that I sat down with Tony to talk about how he can get better is is just inaccurate. Okay, it depends on uh, on what you want to call it, but McManus essentially said he did meet with Romo to, to, to uh, try to, you know, improve the way he calls games. He also said he does that regularly with all, all of his, all of the announcers. So I would take that clip and put it through my translator as a reporter. <laughs> uh, and that's admitting it's correct. Okay, the report's correct. Now we could disagree about the word intervention. I, I, I wrote somewhat of an intervention, but whatever. Um, the idea that CBS has, they haven't gone, the, pre, the chairman of CBS flying down to Dallas, that's a little bit different than calling Bill Raftery up on the phone and being like, hey, you, you know, you're a little late on the foul there. Um, and I don't think they've done it previously. Adding the fact that this is now, now he's not the highest paid, but he's one of the highest paid uh, analysts in sports casting history. Uh, so generally speaking, you don't really need an intervention or meetings to tell him to improve. And, um, you know, I don't think McManus's friends are going to come up and to be like, you made a terrible deal. Like, I don't think that's usually how it works uh, in any line of work. You generally speaking, people don't come up to you out of nowhere and tell you, you know, this person's terrible. Um, that's kind of bad form. So um, I do, I do agree though, that um, Romo and Nance can both improve on their broadcast. And I think it's gonna be a big deal going into next season. And then of course it, it, it comes into a Super Bowl year. Uh, so a year from now, uh, that's gonna be a big deal. The Nance Romo broadcast. And I think they're probably going to try to work out it even more this offseason. I'd be surprised if they didn't. And as I originally said, it's a credit to CBS. This is a big point. A credit to their executives uh, and their whole team to try to improve it because they know they have a problem. I, I, 
they know I'm correct here. Um, and so I think it's a credit to them to try to do something about it and not just be like, well, we're paying Jim Nance a lot of money. We're paying Tony Romo a lot of money and we can't do anything about it. All right. Let's go on to uh, another topic. John wants uh, nothing to do with this topic. He's just like, let's move on. <laughs> But I, you know what, we, the, the, Tony Romo has been a topic for for uh, for for weeks now, and it also was a topic a year ago. The social media thing. I, mean, I don't want to get it because this is how these things progress. Then eventually, places will be like, it's personal. It's never personal with me. I just cover what I'm covering. But we were talking about this a year ago. We were, and and the the idea is, is he going to go the Jason Witten route, where this is going to there, there's going to be a ball of momentum on social that's all of a sudden going to carry over outside of social. Or are people, the casual fans, as uh, Sean said in that clip, are they do they still like his almost childlike enthusiasm in the booth and, and, and the fact that he's non-traditional, which is still one of his strengths and uh, is also turning into one of his weaknesses on social? All right, let's hit another couple of topics and then we'll wrap it up. Again, last week we had two guests. You could go back and listen. Brian Rolop, number two at the NFL, Eric Shanks leader of Fox Sports. Uh, those are fun interviews. Uh, let's just stay kind of still, it's Super Bowl-ish. Uh, Fox announced Derek Jeter will be joining their pregame show. They had Alex Rodriguez involved. They used to be frenemies. Now uh, all's good when you're on TV. Ortiz, all, David Ortiz also used to hate A-Rod. All good. They're all together now. Uh, I, got a, fans, I, got, I got a question. I, got yes. a, I, I have to ask a former Yankees beat writer. Yep. I mean, he was... A terrible interview, wasn't he? I always say Derek Jeter was politely aloof, um, wasn't trying to give you anything. I wrote it the other day when I wrote the story about uh, Jeter joining Fox. Uh, their pregame show is kind of goofy. You got the money. They do the, the you know box bet thing where Ortiz has the briefcase with the money. They kind of try to have fun. They don't really analyze the game. You're not going to need to know all the players. I think in that scenario, Jeter will be fine. Uh, they produce it very well. Uh, and so I think he'll be okay in that. I think where he would struggle now, he's just the president of the team and he worked hard CEO of the Marlins. So he might know the league uh, pretty well at this point still, but I don't think he's going to want to work at that. So if he was like doing like real analysis, he's on baseball tonight, or if he's doing a broadcast, I would not think it's such a good move. I think in the way that they use them, big games, big events, I think Derek Jeter will probably be fine. My expectation level on this is is pretty low. No, it's low. Like he's not like for me, like I got to also get my own. Like I've heard him say all his sayings. He's going to say all his different sayings over and over. He'll make fun <laughs> of A-Rod all the time. You know, that'll be the show. But people might like that. I don't know. Uh, kind of like Tom the... Brady. I don't realize, I didn't realize when you think about it, Tom Brady is a little polarizing. There's a lot of people who don't like Tom Brady. You know, Derek G, there's a similar thing. I mean, I, I had my ups and downs with Jeter as I do with many people I cover. Um, and what was one of your downs with Jeter? Well, I would just like, if he was two for 20, I'd ask him why you're two for 20. And he didn't like questions like that. So <laughs> uh, we did a documentary on ESPN and was like, acted like he used to like answer every question. And he was always available. Like I said, politely aloof, but you know, I would ask whatever. I'm not, when you cover a team and you're a beat guy, there's 11 people. So some of those 11 are going to really kiss some fannies. I wasn't really like that. So that could hurt you sometimes with the stars. Now, I thought we had a good enough relationship. You had to have a good enough relationship where you could pull him aside and be like, hey, I'm doing a feature. You got a moment. So I think we had a good enough relationship uh, on that. And he actually, he never revealed anything. I got his like five. I don't remember him, so don't ask me. But like he gave me like his top five movies. Uh, that was a pretty good. His last year, he kind of opened up. because You have to remember the genre of the movies. What was it? Like action? Fast and Furious. 
I mean, I could look it up. There's something like that. But he used to sneak into the movie theaters and uh, or go in the middle of the day in Tampa, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he gave me time. He was he was fine. He was fine. But there are other people who are a little more, um, you know, you're the greatest and kind of, you know, so that, you know, they, they usually the players got to favor those people sometimes. Um, so I wasn't really one of those people. But I think he'll be OK. I, I thought it got a little lost, though. They, I, I mean, I get why they did on Super Bowl Sunday. I thought it got a little lost. I mean, I think. That would be the topic number one on the sports media podcast if it's next week, right? It's just kind of now it's a sort what, of. Are you kidding me? I would have fought you on that. Get Cal Ripken on there somewhere. Well, I guess, <laughs> but I mean, it's a pretty big deal. Derek Jeter joining Fox's pregame show. That's not something. And I think it kind of got lost because it was, you know, during the Super Bowl it came out. I don't know if, if it, you know, it could have been, it could have come out at a different time. I think it would have been a little better for if they wanted publicity, but maybe they just wanted to kind of put it under the radar. Um, and I think they want to get out there before it leaked. God forbid it got it leaked. Um, yeah. We don't want that. Oh, gosh. No. NBA, we talked about this. Alex Sherman, CNBC, had a story, put a headline on it. I've written it as well. I think we've we've talked about it here on the pod, the idea of NBC coming back and trying to get the NBA. Uh, I had got some, I don't know if it's information, but talked to some people during my time in Arizona, got a good feel about where that might be going. What did you think about uh, NBC and, and the whole thing? Yeah, NBC's uh it wants it. It's going to it's going to make a big bid for it. Uh it's going to try to convince the NBA that it doesn't need to go to a streamer because it has Peacock, it has its own uh streaming service. And I think NBC and pretty much everybody else sees weakness over in Turner right now and they they see a package that is uh that is right for the, uh, uh, to be taken. Um everybody I talk to uh, believes that ESPN is uh, likely to renew their deal. Um, I, I, if if something happens and ESPN doesn't renew that deal, I think that would be shocking, uh, frankly. The question is like, then how many packages is the NBA going uh, to try to sell? And then who's going to be interested? Right now, uh, Fox is interested in, in a package. NBC as, uh, is interested in a package. Amazon is interested in the package. Apple has been uh, talking about it. I don't know where where things stand with Google, YouTube, but I would bet if they're going to be serious about sports that, that they they would be in the interested in, in this package. And so there are a lot of different packages out there. And how the NBA ends up uh, allocating this is the big question to to, to be asked. Yeah, I, I see ESPN keeping it, doing less tonnage on cable. Like I don't think it's going to be Wednesday, Friday anymore. Uh, maybe one game a week. Uh, I could see, you know, during the regular season, be more marquee and then really uh, have try to own the playoffs if they can and retain the finals. Uh, I think that's where I would see for ESPN. And then what, like you said, I think you could get the Turner half of the deal uh, go between, you know, two or three places. Uh, and I'd say more towards three, maybe even four. Uh, that that that's how that will break down. I think. I think they'll have more partners going in. I think that's what they want. Um, kind of makes sense to me going forward to have that. Um, you just want to kind of have all your bets in order. You want to be in business with everybody. I thought you know the NFL has done a good job with that. Um, they're not in business. You know they got a sponsorship deal with the with Apple for the halftime show. Uh, you know they're they're not hiring any games, but they have Amazon. And now Google slash YouTube. And so I think that's what I foresee. So it's going to be interesting. We have a year to talk about this. And I'm sure yeah, there'll uh, be some ups and downs about what happens. Another interesting part of this, Andrew, is uh, going to deal with the local rights. And and if somebody comes in, if the NBA is able to amass all their rights locally and, and then 
sort of sell them to a streamer, you know, for, uh, uh, for, uh, for some sort of, you know, service to where, you know, you can drop down in New York and see, and see the Knicks or the Nets, you know, and, and it would be blacked out, uh, you know, outside of that, that local market. So that's another aspect of this. You think they'll try to get rid of local market blackouts? Local market blackouts are not fan friendly. Uh, and I, I think that main uh, the, the leagues will start to to move away from those. And I know the uh, the baseball already has started looking into it and and uh, wanted to do it a couple of years ago. So it's just kind of slow moving for. Oh, for it's hard because you got the Yankees and teams that make a lot of money from their local rights. So I don't think they're going to give them up. We've discussed that. Your take on Diamond Sports, Sinclair, and what's going on with bankruptcy on the horizon. We've been talking about this for about a year, maybe more. Uh, we've been talking about this since the beginning of the podcast when you made Chris Reefley a household name and uh, <laughs> well, my household at least. Well, uh, here's what's going on is uh, on Wednesday, which is the day that this pod posts, uh, the Diamond Sports Group uh, is going to miss an interest payment, uh, which is uh, the first step to bankruptcy. What this means for teams and what this means for viewers is absolutely nothing. Uh, for, for the next 30 days, uh, there's a 30-day grace period that they have where everything is going to go sort of as normal. And so on March 15th, that's when Diamond Sports Group is going to file for bankruptcy protection. And and uh, there's two ways that, that, that you can do that. One is that you can have a restructuring plan in place where they would need the NBA, the NHL, and presumably MLB to sort of buy into this. Or it's a free fall bank, bankrupt, bank, bankruptcy where nobody knows uh, sort of what's going to happen or what's going to happen to the rights. Uh, the, that's when there are big questions about how fans are going to be able to watch these games, about whether or not they're going to be available on RSNs or whether or not the, even the rights can come back to where teams can just start to stream them or, or, or put them elsewhere. So it, we still have... 30 days to figure this out. And there's still going to be, you know, seven days a week negotiations that Diamond Sports are having with its creditors, with the leagues and with the teams. Yeah. So it sounds like chaos. It's total chaos. It's a lot of fun to cover. <laughs> chaos that's what, that's what we trade in is chaos. All right. Speaking of which, before we get to the call of the week, the Pac-12. All right. You made some news uh, last week with your Pac-12 comments. Um, and then the Pac-12, not I don't think specifically because of your comments, but probably might have been a little bit of it. Uh, they had a statement saying that they're all united. We're going to have a media rights deal uh, soon. Now, look, this is like why I like doing a podcast with you, because I feel like you really know your stuff. Um, I try to know my stuff. Um, we don't know everything, though. So um, my feeling is I, we, we had Shanks on last week from Fox Sports. He basically said they're not doing a deal with them unless it's really advantageous. So can kind of knock them out in terms of really yeah, let's deal. let's use a translator there they'll pay pennies on the dollar to get to exactly get the yeah uh my understanding with amazon i've talked to you about this before they don't want tonnage so could they go for the pack 12 yeah i think they could but i think that there's a better chance that maybe they save up for the nba nascar um and I don't think that they're going to go crazy. So I think you can end up on Amazon, but it's not, you're not ending up on a streamer. You know, it's, you know, we think Thursday night football has been successful. I'm not sure if it works as well with the pack 12. Um, you're not ending up on a streamer. If you do, you kind of want to get paid out the nose that I'm not going to say 
I, you never want to say hundred percent. I 99.9% if they end up on Amazon, it's going to just be a comparable price that you get from networks. Nothing crazy, uh, you know, where they outbid everybody by a lot. I don't see that happening. And I don't and think here's, the, here's the problem on that, Andrew, is that if they end up on Amazon, Amazon only wants one, one game package, yeah. like a game, a game a week, Amazon only wants the top game. Well, they're not going to skim and give that top game to, to Amazon. That's that's what's valuable for, about this package. So they're trying to, to 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 keep that and make you know the second, third, maybe even fourth game available. And so that's that's part of the negotiation that's happening with Amazon right now. And that brings us to ESPN and Bob Iger's comment on the earnings call for Disney. He mentioned Jimmy Pitaro and how they're going to have to be more selective. You talked about that last week. Um, so I don't know if they're not getting ESPN, they're not getting Amazon, they're not getting Fox. You know, could someone like Apple be a wild card? But the problem with Apple is that you're still on a streamer. It's just not as well known. I don't know if that works. And there's just no proof. Even if it works for Thursday Night Football, it's the NFL. It's Thursday night. It's an exclusive game. There's so many elements that you say, okay, you combine with Amazon, the power of Amazon, and how much... Um, uh, reach they have with all their services, you know, specifically Amazon Prime Video. Does that work um, with, if you're the Pac-12, does that work with Apple, which of course has great reach? Uh, we're going to see with the MLS coming up, if it can make that work. So I don't know if that's really a, um, if that would be a home run either, if you're the Pac-12 and then you could maybe NBC, maybe CBS, but I don't see them breaking the bank. Uh, Turner, we just don't really see, it's hard to tell what they're doing. I don't think they're involved. So um I don't know. Doesn't seem that great. Yeah. And the problem with uh, Disney ESPN, frankly, is that, you know, Disney just announced that they're going to have to lay off a, a bunch of people. Uh, Iger has been very clear about must have programming and, and, and paying for that. And the nice to have programming, you know, they're, they're not going to pay that much. And the problem with the PAC 12 is if ESPN carries it, it doesn't add a cent to what cable operators or satellite uh, distributors pay for ESPN. Uh, if, if ESPN doesn't carry it, they, they still make the same amount of money from, uh, from, from, from those distributors. It doesn't drive that, it doesn't drive that part of the business. And it's, a it, it's, it's, I, I said earlier, right, your mark, you know, that the, there, there was one big deal to be had and the big 12 got in there and got it. And things are not looking great right now for the PAC 12 from a linear TV perspective. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see where that ends out andrew instead of call of the week we're going to end this podcast on more of a somber note uh we want, wanted to honor barry Sachs, who uh worked at espn for 33 years as a producer he died over the weekend and i was really struck i didn't know him well at all but i was really struck by all of the tributes uh that, that i saw to him lee fitting uh put something out on sunday night and sent it to uh sort of the uh espn staff that really just describes somebody that was a mentor to other people that always had an open door and that worked on everything from, you know, the, the sports center to uh, other studio shows to, he was a producer uh, out uh, for the San, San Francisco earthquake during the world series uh, back in 1989. And John, you know, this podcast where, we reach you know people outside of who work in sports media, but there's a big sports media community. And even though we cover it, and then we've worked at places, I worked at ESPN at one point, um, you know, kind of we're all sort of in it together in a lot of respects. And I think Barry Sachs was kind of um, 
one of those people who I didn't know him that well. He went to Ithaca like I did. He's, he's older than I am. Um, and then uh, was at ESPN. But one of those people that uh, behind the scenes uh, was kind of the glue that you know puts everything together. Chris Berman talked about it, um, about how Barry uh, had that big booming voice. And you know when Chris Berman says G-Men, uh, that's in honor of Barry Sachs, who's a huge Giant fan. Uh, and then several uh, uh, broadcasters, uh, ESPN broadcasters, uh, talked about uh, that Barry used to always say, if you say wow on a highlight, it belongs in the show. Uh, and he touched uh, so many people. He would DM me uh, every once in a while, last few years, about this or that in the business, um, you know, with uh, you know things to notice, um, which were always helpful. And, um, you know, the pure love of sports and doing his job. Um, and, you know, he was there at ESPN for more than three decades. Uh, you know, that's kind of the core of what we all do. And, uh, you know, Barry, uh, from um, from Chris Berman to Trey Wingo to Carl Ravitch uh, to so many people, Mike Greenberg, Susie Kolber, so many people had beautiful tributes to them. So we just wanted to acknowledge him uh, and his career and his life and send our condolences to his friends and family um, on a tragic loss. He was only 63. All right. And on that note, Andrew, let's uh, let's uh, wrap the pod. Uh, thanks, as always, to AC Wyatt and Chris Mason uh, for putting this together. And we will see you next week.